Appreciate that. Yes, we get to dig into 1 John, which is an incredible letter or epistle, as you could refer to it. And so you all get the, the joy this morning of launching into something new with us. And so we will have some, some points of introduction here before we jump right into the text because it's important to understand the context in which the, the letter was written. It'll, it'll make a whole lot more sense when we do that. Um, but the, the, the theme that, that we have determined, First uh, John is communicating to us, is that we can have certainty in an uncertain world. I mean, don't you think we have enough uncertainty in our life? I've had at least two or three conversations this morning about the traffic on the way here and the uncertainty of the GPS that we were get here at this time, and that, that was not certain at all. Uh, and, uh, and we're wondering where are all these people coming from in Sarasota? Are they supposed to go back up north? No, they're sticking around for another month, right? That's what we're finding out, and, and that works out okay. Uncertainty all over. We just had a newborn baby. Micah was born. Couple weeks ago, and we're still adjusting to life, and every day is uncertain. You know what? How much sleep are we going to get? And uh, what's the day going to look like? And how are we going to manage the other three kids and love them well? And and you know, feeling like I'm a failure as a dad and dropping the ball so many times. Just uncertainty all over, and you, you feel those waves of emotions when things are uncertain, especially doubts, <coughs> fears, uh, so many other so many other uh, emotions or discouragements that can take hold. When we don't know what lies ahead. In the context of this letter, John is addressing the uncertainty in life. He's also addressing there's a big stir going on. There's uncertainty in the spiritual um, understanding of the gospel. Who Jesus is. There are people who are teaching a, a false gospel a second gospel, you could say, not that there is a second one, but, but they're trying to teach a second way to heaven. And so the, the people that are reading this letter in the church are really questioning, wow, is Jesus really God? Uh, is he just created like all the rest of creation? That's what some people are saying. Do all roads lead to heaven? Now, would a loving God really send people to eternal punishment? Now, do these questions sound at all familiar as to what our culture is asking today? And I have to tell you, since we came down here and God has called us to start this church and to evangelize, I've had so many face-to-face -face conversations with someone about their spiritual beliefs, and never before have, have I had an experience of so many different beliefs that go against Christianity. And when you have conversations like that over and over and over again, you know what that makes you do? Do I really have the truth? There's so many people that don't believe it. And so you feel that peer pressure, and, and it causes us to go back to the Word. What has been given to us by God to show us the way to eternal life? That's what we need to do, right? Can I just encourage you all this morning? It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have fears. But what do you do with those doubts? What do you do with those fears? The right way to work through those doubts is to come back to the Word and say, Ah, yes, here's where certainty is found. And all the uncertainty of life, and all the various beliefs, and all the struggles, and all my discouragements when I'm having a down day, does God still love me? And, and can I know for sure that I have eternal life? John says, that's why I'm writing to you. 1 John 5.13 These things are written that you may know 
that you have eternal life. That's where we get a certainty from. And, and I heard on a podcast, uh, I, I, I did research and, and commentaries, and I also enjoyed some good podcasts about First John in, in my sermon preparation. And David Helm is a pastor in Chicago, and he said the word no is used 33 times in First John. Now, I just heard that yesterday, and I didn't get time to go through and count every occurrence. So I'm going to come back next week. I'm going to let you know if it really is 33 times. But 33 times that word no is used. Then you see in chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, he says, so we're writing these things so we may have fellowship together. So there can be oneness and unity. That we're in the same family and so that our joy may be complete. So fellowship and joy comes about when we have certainty about who Jesus is. You can't get it backwards. You can't search for joy and leave Jesus to the side. It's Jesus first. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, right? That's exactly what John's given us here in the first epistle. And, and to use an illustration of, of how we should approach this letter, how many of us have walked into a dark room before? And how many of us have walked into a dark room in our home that we're pretty familiar with? We feel like we got a pretty good grasp of where things are, the furniture, the, uh, the items you're looking for, or you're just passing through to go to another room. And if you're like me, sometimes you get lazy and you say, I don't need to turn the light on. I know my way around. And then you start working through said, walking through said dark room and you forgot to pick up, you know, those toys that the kids left on the ground. So you step on a Lego or an airplane, or uh, you knock over a bottle of water off the table and this loud clattering on the ground that's going to wake the kids up. Oh, I forgot that was there. You know, or you run into, you know, the fridge. We think we know the way through the room. And why don't we just turn the light on and let the light show everything that's going on? Now, you'll see a common theme here in the first John is that, that God is light. In verse 5, he says, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. So he is the light that lights up our path. So this morning, and all through our study of 1 John, and can I just say, every day of our lives, can we look at Jesus as our light, and can we let him shine through us, through his word, through the spirit, to light up our path? So we can walk forward with certainty. I know where my next step is, not because I know what tomorrow holds. No, absolutely not. But I know the one who's guiding me there, and he hasn't let me fall yet. So I got certainty as I move forward. Now, you'll see uh, on, on one side of the sheet, why am I giving you all this information? I'm not trying to bore you to death. I'm actually trying to give you a helpful Bible study tool. So you all, when you get home and later this week, can read through 1 John for yourself, and you've got some study tools to help you grasp what is going on here? And what am I, Oh, and, and what's the outline of the letter here? And you'll see there's not really a logical outline like you and I would put together. Point one, point two, point three, points A, B, and C. It's really kind of circular. And here's different themes that John is, is hitting as he's going through. There's a reason for that. The period of history that he's writing from is about 80, uh, AD 85 to 90. And he's writing this letter because there have been some opponents of the gospel. I referenced them before. They're, they're, they're known as the Gnostics. And the Gnostics had, had this weird idea that, that originated, I believe, in, in, in philosophy. 
that the material world is evil. All things material are evil. Spiritual is good, but there's nothing good in material, or in other words, in, in flesh and blood, or, or in creation. And so because they had that fundamental belief, they came to the scriptures and rewrote the scriptures to say, well, since material is evil, there's no way that the Christ actually took on human flesh because material is evil. It just looked like he took on flesh. He had the appearance. So another uh, um, way that you could identify them is uh, docetism, right? Had that, that appearance of taking on human flesh. He wasn't actually human, though. It's more like a Superman. Jesus was the human, and, and he was flawed, and, and, and he was you know, fleshly like all of us. But the Christ, his spirit kind of dwelled on Jesus for a while and then lifted back to heaven. Where do they get these crazy ideas from their own mind, from their own philosophy, from their own vain deceit? And they have pride in their beliefs because they're challenging the apostles, the ones who actually walked with Jesus, saw him, talked to him. They heard his sermons. They saw his miracles. And here comes these guys that weren't with Jesus, and they say, we know better than those apostles. We're just as important as them. We're, our, our word is just as good as these apostle guys. And so they caused a split in the church, and churches all around the area of Ephesus, and, and it would even spiral to all of the known world. By the second and third centuries, this, this, this false belief is spreading. And so you've got false churches starting up across the street. People that used to walk with you and, and worship with you and say that they believe the same Jesus as you, they're getting swayed by these false teachings. And say, yeah, there's no way that Jesus actually took on human flesh. And they split. And it's heartbreaking to see what that can do to the fellowship and to the joy of the people when you get Jesus wrong. So I believe it is John the Apostle writing here. Some, others, uh, some other scholars believe differently on that, but, but a, a vast number of them, especially from the conservative evangelical circles, believe this is John writing. But you'll notice, like in chapter 1, verse 4, we are writing these things. Uh, also in the Gospel of John, John 21, verse 24, that word we is used again. And scholars talk about there's some different writing styles in John's letters. So you have the Gospel of John, you have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and you have Revelation. Okay, so John is the second most prolific author after Paul in the New Testament. And you see these differences in their writing. And so some critics say, oh, well, then this can't be, this can't be John. Well, what's, what's most likely going on here is John is working with a team. He's got men who are writing down John's eyewitness testimony and compiling this testimony, this record, to be distributed to the churches. Didn't Paul also write with a scribe? He would say, hey, by way of, and then he would name, at the end of the letter, the person who was writing. Or sometimes he would say, I'm writing this with my own hand. Wait a minute. Not every letter Paul wrote, did he write every letter, every word with his own hand? Then we can't trust it. No, that's not what's going on here. The eyewitness testimony is accurate and reliable. But there, there's a team of scribes working together on this passage and inspired by God. And we can be thankful for that. I think it, it actually adds credibility to the letter that it's not just one man in a cave by himself. There are others that can confirm this eyewitness testimony as they, as they work with John. And you'll see that outline there. We are going to jump into the very beginning of the letter, 
the, you could call it the prologue. So verses 1 through 4 really set the stage for what's about to uh, be expounded on in the letter. And I appreciate uh, Dennis and Chris taking the time to read that for us. And I encourage you to have that open as well and, and, and highlight along with me because this is deep. This is good. And I might add, this is the most relevant thing we could study this morning. I know a lot of a lot of preachers. They do series on like, "Hey, six tips to a happier, healthier life." Might I submit we're getting things backwards there? Like we're searching after the side effects of knowing Jesus. Right here, we get full fire hydrant Jesus, and trust me, the joy will come. So here's the first thing we see in those first four verses: the word of life has been revealed. Verses. 1 through 2. So, so starting off, John says, that which was from the beginning, we've heard, and we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, we've, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's talking about Jesus. You might not get that right away, because which is an interesting pronoun to refer to a person, right? Usually you say, what pronoun? Who? Or who? But he's talking about the mystery of the fact that God became man. So it is Jesus, but it's also the miraculous event that God became flesh. The Word became flesh. The incarnation. That's the witch. The witch here. Uh, the, concerning the Word of life, he says at the end of verse 1. And and 2, verse... Uh, or, uh, Part A of verse 2, he says, the life was revealed. That's made manifest. So make no mistake here, he's saying Jesus is fully divine. That's that first blank. He is fully divine. He's also fully man, but he is fully divine. The Gnostics are saying he's not. But this is our eyewitness testimony, guys. This is what we've seen. And, and the word... Uh, that, that in the Greek is logos. So it's translated word or, or speech. But this is God speaking. God speaks. He does so through his son. Jesus is the living word. So when we say the word of life revealed, this is God speaking into our lives, into human event, into history. Through a person, not through some magical spirit floating around. This is heaven come to earth. This is the gospel of the kingdom. Repent, because the kingdom is near. How can the kingdom be near? Because the king is near. This is the word of life. John 1.14 tells us, John says, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us lived with us. He ate fish with us around the fire. He rode on the boat with us. He dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, his beauty. Glory as of the only Father, full of grace and truth. Now right there, that's a blasphemous thing to say if Jesus is not God. Right? Because the Father, God, does not share his glory with another. He's made that perfectly clear from Scripture. He is set apart, he's holy, he's unto himself. 
So even if you follow the line of thinking of the Jehovah's Witnesses and say that, well, Jesus or, or the Son of God was a created being right here, John is going to say, my, my witness testimony is better than, than that. It's true. Because he shares the glory of the Father. That's why he says that which was from the beginning. Go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, who created the heavens and the earth? God did. Is he really saying what I think he's saying here? Jesus? Well, more, more formally, God the Son created heavens and the earth? He absolutely did. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed, three persons in one, and now eternal life has been revealed. That word manifest, it's like the curtain has come down. Now we can see. The Old Testament alludes to and speaks to and prophesies about Emmanuel, God coming to live with us. But when Jesus walks into a room, the confusion leaves. It's not a mystery anymore. And he speaks truth into our lives, and you either accept Jesus or you reject him. And that's why the Gnostics were working so hard to try to confuse people. Try to confuse them. It's not just yes or no. It's you got to think differently about Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus came. The glory of God was revealed. The question is, what are you going to do with that? Jesus is divine because he was with the Father from eternity past. That's what he says at the end of verse 2. We proclaim to you the eternal life. This is Jesus. Which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. If he's not talking about Jesus there, what on earth could he be talking about? Has to be Jesus. He's the living word. He has a fully divine nature. When he speaks, he's speaking on behalf of the Father. Secondly, you see he is fully man. He was revealed to us. So he came in the flesh. He was accessible. He's knowable. We couldn't see God before, and now we do. Because of the incarnation. In verse 2, you'll see, uh, at least in, in the English Standard Version, all of verse 2 is surrounded by those, those um, what are they called? Paragraph breaks? Hyphens? <coughs> Dashes, thank you. Dashes. So the whole verse is, is basically a parenthesis. Verses 1 and 3 flow together so well. So why verse 2 and why this kind of awkward break? Because the incarnation is such a big deal. John slows down and, and goes in depth of, of what does this look like? Eternal life. Manifested. Now revealed. Clothed in flesh. Isaiah 7, 14 and Isaiah 8, 8 talked about Emmanuel, the one who is to come, will be God with us. With us. Dwelling with us. Not just a spirit passing over our heads and flying back to heaven. With us. One of us. Matthew one twenty three says, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. The apostles saw God in human flesh. So just like witnesses in a court of law, they're on the stand. They put their hand on the Bible and they say, so help me God, I'm going to tell the truth, is what we saw. Now, you can reject it. And you can say, no, that's not for me. What you can't do is say, you got the eyewitness testimony wrong. 
Were you an eyewitness to Jesus? Did you walk with him? Did you hear his words? Did you see his miracles? Neither did the Gnostics. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to take the apostles at their word that they saw the resurrected Jesus in the flesh. And the simple beauty is all we need for fellowship with God and others is Jesus. The fullness of God in human flesh. Full access to God. Full power of God. He is the total package. Which means the closer we pursue and, and run after Jesus, the clearer becomes our path, doesn't it? Now, if we have an eyewitness testimony here, and I don't trust it, or, or I doubt it, or I, I get away from reading the Bible, what, what happens as I go through life? I start to tread. I start to stumble. I start to... My, 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 my joy. It's no longer... Uh, a day-in, day-out certainty because I'm not leaning on the one who is certain. The closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to the Father and his plan for us. Here's a second thing John is telling us in the prologue. We can have true fellowship with God. True fellowship with God. He says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now, like I prayed earlier, I don't know where you are this morning as you come in. Maybe you feel really far away from God this morning. Maybe you feel like your prayers are not getting past the ceiling. And sometimes we get that way, don't we? Sometimes, sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we have experiences and discouragements. And like, am, I, am I really connected? But here's the beauty. Because of who Jesus is, we're guaranteed connection with God. That's what we've always wanted. That's that longing we want. And we strive after it. Sometimes we try to fill that void with other things or other people or other relationships. But what we're really after, what we are really made for, is to know God. And to be filled with Him. To be one. And that's the awesome thing about Jesus. Because of who He is, we can have true fellowship with God. We can have genuine community. I'm using another Greek term. I'm sorry, okay? But it's an important term. That's why you need to know it. Know it. Okay? I'm not just trying to, like, flex my Greek muscles because I don't have any, okay? I'm just I'm leaning on the text here. Koinonia is the word for fellowship here. It means we have things in common. There's partnership. There's shared values. And, and you might think to yourself, okay, well, Disney pass holders, they have fellowship. Don't they? I mean, you see the stickers on their car? They, they pay their entrance fee, and they have this special club, and they have these special you know, discounts and perks, and they go there so many times during the year, and they post all their pictures on social media to make all your kids jealous, okay? Because parents are like, oh, that's a lot of work. I'm not sure I want to do that. But the kids, the kids get jealous. And so they have their fellowship, right? So what makes this fellowship different? It's fellowship with God. And you can't buy fellowship with God. At least you and I can't. We're bankrupt, spiritually. Born in sin. I was born not having fellowship with God. The one who is eternal life. I was born dead on arrival because I have sin in my heart. So what did God do? He opened up a door. Through his son. Jesus, the son of God. 
Jesus said in John 10, verse 9, I am the door. Come to me. Come through me. And he also warned in John 14, verse 6, no one comes to the Father but through me. You don't just walk into somebody's house and sit on their couch and put your feet up on the coffee table and help yourself to snacks in the fridge if you don't know them. That's a great way to get shot or get the police called or get beat up. I don't know. It's a lot of different ways people might react to that. And yet people think we can do that with God. I don't know, but surely God's just going to let everyone into heaven. Uh, is that how it works at your house? You don't know these people? Please, help yourself to the, I don't know, have any clue who you are. No, 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 no. you got to know the family. Jesus is the one you can know. And he's the, he's the messenger of God. He's God in the flesh. And God sent to come and invite us into this fellowship. So you may have true fellowship. And it might sound arrogant when John says you may have fellowship with us. He's not being arrogant. He's being honest. The only way you have fellowship with the Father is if you believe the same gospel that Jesus preached and lived. And the, the apostles say, we're carrying the same gospel. We're just witnesses. We didn't make this up. We're passing it on. So we believe it. And that's why you can have fellowship with the apostles, because you can have fellowship with God. That's what we have in common. One faith, one Lord, one God. He is our living hope. And, and living hope, think about this. Fellowship comes because we know Jesus. We've seen his glory. We've seen his beauty. He's, he's changed us. He's taken our guilt and our shame away. And God is saying, I want to plant a new church here in North Sarasota that's going to show all these people the amazing love I have for them. Because Christianity without fellowship is not biblical Christianity. A relationship with God is going to lead to a relationship with others. And if someone is looking in from the outside in and looking at what we have, what makes us different from Disney? What makes us different from Buddhists? And everyone kind of has their community. We're the only one that has fellowship with the living God. I, there are other churches, praise the Lord, and there are other churches preaching the gospel. I'm not saying we're the only church. That's what sets the biblical church apart. So, what a privilege. Let's invite people into this fellowship. Come on. The doors are wide open. Wide open. God has made a way. He's provided a door, and we are opening the door. And as we serve out of the strength of our fellowship, we also get to share the joy. So this week, when you sit down to coffee with somebody, or you get lunch, or uh, maybe you're having, having time with your family, maybe you're serving at your place of ministry, at, uh, at a facility, or uh, at a school, serve out of the strength of the fellowship. Your fellowship with God, and to know that you're not alone. You're not the only believer on this planet trying to tell people the good news about Jesus. There's a fellowship. There are brothers and sisters here. We have each other's back, and we're walking side by side with joy. And that's the third point John points out to us. We can have joy to the full. Because ultimately, what is the end? What's the end goal? Why did God save us? Is it because he's bored? Is God bored up in heaven? So he thought, 
I guess I'll create something and have some company. Might as well. No. He has infinite, total, eternal joy. And he wants to share that joy with us. Joy that can only come from the Father, through the Son, to us. And that's verse 4. We are writing these things so that our joy may be what? Complete. What would it be like to have complete joy? And what, what is joy? Is that just the feeling of, of happiness? Well, that comes and goes. No, joy is full satisfaction. No matter what state you're in. No matter what's going on. Satisfied. And we're satisfied in God. So God has always been satisfied in God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God needs no one else to add to his glory, to his joy. He has it all. And he wants to share that with us, to pour it over so that our joy may be full. And John is actually quoting Jesus because he's an eyewitness, right? John 15, 11. Now I'll write that down in your... On your, on your notes there and go back and, and visit that later. Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. What on earth? Can Jesus really love us that much? He doesn't hog the joy. He says, I want it to be in you. I came that you would have life abundantly to the full. Total, absolute, complete joy. Not hidden, not just a little bit. Today. Today, he can be our satisfaction with God. And I think it's important we keep that definition, full satisfaction, because what happens when we're coming up on empty? What happens when we suffer for the sake of Christ? Or just the general diseases, sickness, hurts, heartaches of, of being in this fallen world that is not yet made whole. Well, Jesus, in Hebrews 12, 2, we're told, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So it doesn't matter what you face in life, Jesus faced the cross with joy in his heart. Because he knows God. He is in the Godhead. And if you and I really understood who Jesus is, know him and love him and pursue him, we can face whatever comes next in our life too. For the joy set before us is Jesus set before you this morning. Now, if you're, if you're thinking logically with me as we've followed this prologue, verses 1 through 4, you're thinking, okay, Jesus, fellowship, and joy, right? That's the order. Does that, does that look... Familiar to anyone? Mm -hmm. Similar to our core values, perhaps? Mm -hmm. Starts and ends with Jesus. Because we know who he is, we're devoted to him. Because we're devoted to him, he brings us together into a family, a community, where we love one another because he first loved us. And because this good news is too good to keep to ourselves, we're on a mission. Because North Sarasota, South Bradenton, a lot of people do not know the joy that the Father has and the joy Jesus is willing to give them 
So we do not stop until every family in this community and even around the world has heard the good news of what God has done for them. We can't stop. We won't stop. Our joy is too full. We can't keep it to ourselves. So we don't put mission up there as like, hey, like in the army, you do this mission or you fail. No, it's a joy. It's a joy to make disciples. So who are we discipling this week? And are we doing it from a heart of joy? We're looking to reach out to others because we share in Jesus' mission, because we share in his joy. So today, as we conclude, let's think through how can we pray for opportunities to share this joy? And how can we help commit to help each other pursue Jesus? It's not a solitary project. It's not an individual project, although individually we must. We must understand who he is and pursue his glory. But we also must help one another to grow in him. Are you having a rough week? We're here to help point you to Jesus. The word is here. Let it dwell in you richly and, and build you up. Do you need an accountability partner? Someone to say, hey, let's lock arms. I'm going to walk with you. Because Jesus has locked arms with us. He says, I'm never leaving you. Put my spirit within you. Do you need to get into a, a group? Do you need to start to create time in your schedule for prayer? To depend on the Father? If you're here today and dissatisfied with your relationship with God, you're in the right place. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you can experience the fullness of joy in Jesus. And believers, let's read through this entire book today. It'll take you not even five minutes. If you're a moderately fast reader, it, it hardly takes any time at all. I think I listened to an audio reading of it that took maybe three minutes. Okay? It does not take long. Read through this book and ask God to show you what he has for you. In the first four verses, I've been incredibly blessed. I'm, I'm the most blessed man on the planet, and I love sharing this message with you, but I can't keep that joy to myself. You get the word for yourself, and you enjoy Jesus. And as we continue to study this book, I'd like to point out there's actually two certainties in life. When we started out, the theme of John is certainty in an uncertain world, right? So it's guaranteed. I have no idea what, what's going to happen next when you walk out those doors. Life is uncertain. But for the believer, there's a second truth. Jesus is our certainty in life. You can take that to the bank. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the living word, Jesus. God, how on earth were you motivated to come rescue a sinner like me? You're such a gracious God. You're such a loving God. And the work that you've done in my life, you can do in anyone's life. And you want to. And I pray that this message today was an encouragement. I pray it was encouraging to these men and women and, and boys and girls that you are a God of love and light. We can be confident. We can trust the word. Because you revealed yourself and the eyewitnesses passed it on. Lord, have your way in our hearts. Convict us where we need to change. Help us to repent and, and put bad practices and sinful habits aside. And, and help us to put on the new man today. To put on some new habits for enjoying Jesus and growing in him. 
And Lord, I pray that this week we'll have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. That we would see lost people come to Christ and find joy forever. And Lord, keep us humble and dependent on you. And grow this church according to your word. Let your word be the center of all that we do. Let your spirit be our power. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.